0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This piece has been brought to you by Bonnie Plants. BonniePlants.com
0: I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Good afternoon and welcome. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights, with me, your host, Katie Kiefer. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network, and it's our June fundraiser drive, people. There is no other radio station on the bandwidth, either in uh, FM or AM or online, that does what Heritage Radio does. So... Make a point of going to our website, heritageradionetwork.org, and dropping that donation into the box to keep these programs going. And today we have a really great guest. He's in studio with me today. It is Dan Flynn, who is the executive director of the UC Davis Olive Center. Uh, Dan formerly served as a consultant to the California legislature from 1985 to 2004 in a variety of policy areas, and he is the former owner and manager of an organic farm in the Sierra Foothills, thus he knows his ad. Dan has a BA in sociology from uh, University of California, Santa Barbara and an MA That's completely we don't need to know that or political science from Rutgers University because it all doesn't matter because now you are the man who is driving the California olive oil industry into greatness. Isn't that right?
2: Well, we are trying to. I hope so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us about what the center does and why it why it exists.
2: The center is a partnership, and we focus on research and education for olive growers and processors. And essentially what we're trying to do is help them improve quality and their production efficiency. So we're trying to do for olives what UC Davis did for wine.
1: Right. And why olives in particular? Is it because California is especially hospitable to olives or because there's a tradition of olives? I don't, you know, I don't, I never, except for those big black olives, which I think are, really disgusting the ones that come in cans which i can't eat um what other olives are grown there i mean traditionally
2: olives actually have been grown in california since about 1770 and so it's a very good climate for olive growing and and uh, for the united states it's really the best place to grow olives you can grow them other parts of the u.s and they're doing it in texas and florida and Mm -hmm. oregon and some other places but California is kind of in the sweet spot from a climate standpoint.
1: Right. And how much, I mean, compared to other crops, because I've been reading a lot about the water table in California. In fact, I was listening to NPR on my way back to New York this morning, and they were talking about how all of these, there are these drilling companies that are drilling wells on farmland all around, all over California. And the fear is, is that they will completely suck the aquifers dry. And so I've been, and uh, I don't know if you know Tom Philpott. He writes for Mother Jones. No. He's a regular guest here, and I, I love the guy. And he did this really wonderful table a few weeks ago or a month and a half ago that showed how much each crop in California uses of water. And almonds are a huge water suck. Um, You know, obviously, fruits and vegetables are a big water suck. What's the profile for um, for olives? Do they also need a lot of water, or do they do well in dry soil? Uh,
2: olives compare pretty favorably to some of these other tree crops. So, for example, mm-hmm. almonds take about four acre feet of water per year, which translates into about 1.5 million gallons. And olive oil trees would take about half of that, if not less. Mm-hmm. So they do pretty well. So this could
1: be a transitional well. crop for them. That's right. As yeah. the water table continues to depart, right, more and right. more people can switch over into planting olive trees in their almond groves and uh, hedge if, their bets. <laughs>
2: if, if the, the, the one big difference is that almonds pay a lot more to the grower. And so that's one reason why they're so popular in California. Really? And, you know, California grows about 80 plus percent of the world's almonds so it's I it's a it's a huge industry for california
1: yeah so that's going to be a while before olives overtake that now yeah. what kind of olives grow well there and obviously california is trying to build an olive oil industry which will at some point rival the the other uh, successful agricultural crops that they grow what what kind of olives and are they just uh, for oil are they also for eating olives are you creating like It was really interesting looking at your website. We'll talk about that in a minute. But tell me about what the cultivars are.
2: Yeah. Well, a lot of us buy olives for eating that are green or black or maybe Mm -hmm. purple. And actually, the tree will ripen from green to purple to black. So every tree will ripen uh, if it gets enough sun. It's not like they just stop at green or they just stop at purple. Oh. So that's something that I think a lot of people don't realize. And then in terms of <gasps> the, the, the other cultivars or the varieties that grow in California, there are certain varieties that are better for colder climates or wetter climates. Some do better in desert climates. And California has all those temperatures. So sure. really just about any cultivar out there could grow in California somewhere.
1: Fantastic. And what do you So at the UC Davis Center, what is your primary product there?
2: Uh, In terms of what we sell? Well, what what your your growers are. Yeah, Yeah, because we actually sell products ourselves to support ourselves. But we, uh, first, research is probably our most important product that we offer. So... One of the great things about the center is we can draw from all these different academic disciplines, chemistry and food science and agriculture, so cool. and bring it together and direct it toward this one crop. So we're working on trying to determine the quality and authenticity of olive oil, trying to come up with better methods to evaluate it. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we want to help get better products in the hands of the consumer that's at a good price.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that if you can make olive oil turn into a crop that's as successful as one of the other big crops in California, then some of the pressure on their other systems will diminished slightly. And so the Mondavi, their, your center is was developed by the Mondavi Foundation?
2: It's, well, it's, we're part of something called the Robert Mondavi Institute for Wine and Food Science, mm-hmm. and it's the home of the Department of Food Science, and it's also the home of the Department of Viticulture and Enology. And what Mondavi was interested in doing as part of this donation that he gave to the university was helping create good connections between the university and the food and beverage industries, and so we do that in the World of Olives.
1: Cool. Very cool. He was such an amazing guy, that Robert Mondavi. And did you know I worked on a book when I was working with um, Rosemary when I was doing uh, publicity for books. And I I can't remember. The woman's name was uh, Julia Flynn Styler, I think, was the author. And it was about the Mondavi family. And Mondavi literally bankrupted himself by all of these philanthropic ventures that he went on, including the center that you're talking about right now. Exactly. He, He literally gave away all of his money to the point where he lost control of his company. Because it was going to go belly up because he had borrowed so much money against it, it was just—it was an amazing story. But he was truly a visionary. That dude. Yeah. Very interesting book. Um, Now, what kind of involvement does the USDA have in what you're doing in terms of promoting this form of agriculture in California?
2: The USDA has been very supportive in funding research, so we've we've benefited Mm -hmm. from some of those grants. So that's always nice. Mm -hmm. And they also have established grades and standards for olive oil. They updated those for the first time in about 60 years, about six years ago, or four years ago, actually. So um, there's still more that we could probably do at the federal level, but uh, USDA has shown that they have a lot of interest in this crop.
1: And if there is a lot of interest in this crop from the USDA, does that then translate into um, like... You know how the beef industry has the checkoff. You know that's kind of like a partnership with the USDA, where the people who are growing then give money into this fund, and then it helps. It's a marketing tool, essentially, that the USDA manages. Are you guys going to find yourselves with a with an olive oil checkoff?
2: That's something that the industry has been kicking around. It's uh, interesting. In in the United States, most of the olive oil that we consume in in, in our country is imported. Right, like ninety six percent. And so wow. with a checkoff of this sort, you need the importers to come to some kind of agreement with the domestic producers. Ooh, yeah. And so they need to sort out if they see enough common ground to, to jointly market olive oil together. Right.
1: That's fast. I mean, the whole trade implications. Nobody ever thinks about like your competition is primarily European olive oils. And then, how do you tell me a little bit about this quality standards that you just referred to when we were talking about the USDA? How did how did the USDA become the ones who? initiated these quality standards or revised the quality standards?
2: They were petitioned by the California industry to update the standard because mm-hmm. the standard they had was from the 40s, and it had grades that were not really relevant to how olive oil is marketed. For example, the top grade was fancy for olive right. oil, not extra virgin. <laughs> yeah. So it seemed that it was time for an update. And uh, But what we found when we've analyzed olive oil and pulled it off the shelf and run it through a bunch of tests – is that a lot of the oil that's available to consumers here in the U.S. is not meeting the standards of extra virgin. Uh And that includes the standards that the USDA has recently updated. Uh And so from our viewpoint, we just think that there needs to be better methods to analyze quality, and probably the existing standards need to be tightened up.
1: Right. Right. And so will your growers, is it your growers and your producers who are driving that as much as anything else? I mean, it seems to me that that gives them a a significant competitive edge in marketing. If they can say, well, we meet these USDA standards and brand X, not so much. They
2: they have that option. In fact, in California, they just adopted a state commission which has proposed a very tough standard just for Mm -hmm. California produced olive oil. But actually what we found in our research is that a lot of the oil will pass the chemistry standards of the USDA, but when you taste the oil, it's rancid, it has all these other off flavors, Mm -hmm. and so the chemistry hasn't really caught up with that sophisticated sensory ability that all of us have.
1: Yeah. And very, in my case, just incredibly sophisticated. No, (laughs) I just took a wine class, and I realized that my palate sucks. (laughs) In fact, I pretty much don't have one. But, you know, that's another story. Still like (laughs) drinking wine, though, right? Yeah, of course. It's my favorite juice. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I mean, I can smell some things. But I just, like, I'm, I'm older, and you lose your olfactory sense as you age, I find. And so my ability to, like, if somebody says, oh, I smell... You know, wet pavement and underbrush, and I, you know, it's like I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean you smell wet pavement? <laughs> the hell is that? <laughs> so, like, a lot of the stuff that you guys do is um, at the center is what to, to just build on that whole flavor thing is is sensory chemistry, and that's obviously different from analyzing the phenols or whatever goes into whatever makes up olive oil. What, tell us what sensory chemistry is.
2: Well, sensory is, is one part of it, and chemistry is another part of it. And so in the chemistry, you are looking at the phenols, and you're looking at fatty acids, and sterols, and uh, indicators of oxidation, which lead to rancidity. Right. So that's all chemistry. In sensory, you know, the basic definition of what extra virgin is from the standard for sensory is there's zero defects such as rancidity. So you can't detect that it's rancid right. or has other off flavors. And there's more than zero fruitiness, which is not a particularly high sensory standard because that doesn't no. mean the oil needs to be fresh. It just means it hasn't gone off into rancidity or has these other defects. Right. So, um, this, but even with that sort of minimal and modest sensory standard, the chemistry hasn't caught up with it. And we're finding that, that uh, like I said, just about everything will pass the chemistry standards, but they'll fail that very modest sensor, sensory standard.
1: And what are people looking for in olive oils? I mean, I think everybody has, like, heard of EVO, you know, extra virgin olive oil, and they see the thick green goo in the bottle, and they're like, ooh, this is good. But, I mean, olive oil is so specific. It's, I mean, it's got its own terroir, just like any other fruit or... You know, like certainly the way wine does. And I, I saw in your center, in the, the material on your website, that you have a lot of, in fact, I, I even wrote it down. Let me find it for you. Um, yes, it's, it's, it's the, uh, this is a, a blend of Spanish, Italian, and Greek varieties grown by California olive drench and Lucero olive oil produce a fresh Herbaceous and grassy blend with nutty and buttery notes, as well as a strong kick down the stretch. <laughs> <laughs>
2: All right, maybe we got a little <laughs> <just>, over-enthusiastic.
1: <more> <laughs> I just died laughing at that. I mean, it's guy But you know what? If you're going to talk about the way things taste, like it was cool that you really had like that whole vocabulary just as I learned this crazy new vocabulary for wines. You know, and I wondered if that's like, is that going to be sort of like a way that you guys start marketing to consumers and, and you start differentiating out um, different brands or different olives for specific um applications or flavor notes that somebody like might like one thing more than the other
2: yeah well we won't Want to get too geeky about it because I think it, it turns a lot of people off.
1: Well, that was one of my questions. Yeah, yeah.
2: And it's not like people are going to sit around just sipping olive oil around the living room. But, I have
1: seen that happen, though. Have you? I've had it. I've seen it happen at the Fancy Food Show. In fact, I had the most annoying experience the last time I went. <laughs> I was with a friend of mine. My one of my best friends is a wonderful chef and cookbook author, and her brother is a chef in Los Angeles. And he was here for the Fancy Food Show, and he dragged us to every single freaking olive oil purveyor, and he. He was doing the whole like tasting thing, and I really, I just wanted to kill him by the, you know, by the eighteenth. I was like, I can't drink another drop of this. Yeah, it's disgusting. Yeah,
2: you, there's only so much of that you could handle, and no kidding, you can roll you out of there. But um, what we do want to help people understand is that extra virgin olive oil is a, is a fruit juice, and most people really have never tasted a fresh version of this juice. We're all used to a very stale, rancid a defective version of this juice. You
1: mean juice. my bottle of Vita is probably stale and rancid?
2: It could be, it could be, but it. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know. It could be I okay. No <laughs> it could be okay, but but uh, what we're hoping people will really get to know is that there's this whole world of flavor out there that they probably haven't experienced with olive oil, and it can make their food taste better, mm-hmm. which is how you're going to use it, and so.
1: So you're th- w- saying using this more as a condiment, which is sort of more the trend now, rather than just a medium in which to cook things.
2: Well, you can do both. You uh-huh. could you could use it as a condiment you could saute you could bake you could deep fry with it and it works in all these, really, these didn't applications
1: really I deep fry with it I thought olive oil got too if it gets too hot it
2: that's one of those myths really out there um, it, it's it true out. with bad quality olive oil that it will smoke at a lower yeah. temperature a good quality extra virgin will you could take it up to 400 degrees which is above deep frying temperature wow and it'll be fine and it actually has components in it that help keep uh, it, it where you could continue to use it more than once.
1: oh, I see right. so it's it sort of cleans itself.
2: In yeah a way. it's got these antioxidants that we hear about those help protect the stability of the oil so you can okay. reuse it
1: well speaking of antioxidants, let's talk just for a second about the the health benefits of olive oil. Yeah. I mean we all know about the Mediterranean diet. Um, what are you guys like using that as part of your marketing package? are you like saying you should be you know, drinking this, sleeping—you know, on a on a hot water <laughs> bottle full of olive oil. You know, putting it in your bathtub. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, do you use it as like? Are you using it in soaps and lotions and as part of your products? Line? We we
2: do. We have soaps and lotions and uh, lip balm, and we'll mm-hmm. find other things if we can to put it in, uh, and that helps support our center. Uh, the, there's a couple of really healthy things about olive oil. One is the fatty acid content. So you hear about monounsaturated fats as being good for you. And olive oil is mostly monounsaturated fats. So that's mm-hmm. good for cardiovascular health, and it has some other benefits. Then the other thing that's good about olive oil are the antioxidants. And that's only maybe 1% or 2% of the oil. But those antioxidants um, have been associated with fighting Alzheimer's, fighting aging, fighting cancer. And it's one of the reasons why the Mediterranean diet is is rightly extolled as such a healthy diet.
1: Right. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, um, <laughs> you. Um, one of the things that you're doing, oh, we have to take a break in a second, but we'll, we'll come to this first, is you um, you noted that consumers buy olive oil for two main reasons, for flavor and for health, both of which decline with time. So how long does it take for olive oil to start declining with in, in flavor. It,
2: like. Well, it really is changing all the time. It's it's not a product that you can age like wine. It's a fresh fruit juice. So right. you think about any other juice, it's going to decline with time. If you store it in optimal conditions, that'll help preserve it for longer. Right. Um, but to get to your question, it's it's really it depends. But uh, I think the rule in the rule of thumb in the industry is two years of an unopened bottle in a cool, dark place. It's still should be good, but it will have changed from when it was first made. Oh, It'll, interesting! Yeah,
1: so it it changes what in the sense of like it uh develops more of one flavor and less of another, or, or it becomes overall more bland or flat.
2: It, it starts to flatten, uh-huh. gets more mellow. There's three positive attributes of olive oil, fruity, bitter, and pungent. All mm-hmm. three of those start to fade mm-hmm. with time. So if you want it at its best, you know you should get it as fresh as you can and use it up once you get it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Jack, let's take a short break, and uh, we'll be right back with Dan Flynn uh, from the UC uh, Davis Olive Center. We'll talk a little bit more about olive oil fraud, which I know is. Right for
2: Hi, everybody. I'm Phil Colicchio, the host of the Business of the Business here on the Heritage Radio Network. And this summer, we are turning five. The Heritage Radio Network is five years old. Since our launch in 2009, we've continued to bring you food and culture content like nobody else in this business. And we need, and when I say need, I mean need, your help. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a passionate, grassroots, action-oriented nonprofit organization And that means we depend upon the support of listeners like you to keep us alive. If you love what you hear on this radio station, the Heritage Radio Network, please visit our website and become a member today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. you got to be economically sustainable. Help us out. Thanks. Bye.
1: From simple to gourmet, nothing's fresher or tastier in recipes than homegrown, fine-ripened veggies and savory herbs. Do you grow your own? With Bonnie Plants, a kitchen garden at your back door or in containers can produce an amazing harvest for cooking and for sharing. Find how-tos, plans, and more at BonniePlants.com. Your recipes might not change, but your results sure will. Fresh, healthy, bonnie veggies and herbs. Get growing.
2: Hello, this is Mark Ladner from Del Posto, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network.
1: We're back. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and in the studio with me today is Dan Flynn. Dan is the Executive Director of the UC Davis Olive Center out in California. And we're talking about uh, the growth of olive oil as an industry uh, for our country, but also some of the other things that the center does um, for people who grow produce olive oils and grow olives. And that's, you have a whole testing thing going on there. Right. So let's talk a little bit about what the, what the what kind of testing you do and how you support olive growers in making a better product.
2: Our testing focuses on chemistry and sensory. So in the chemistry department, you've got multiple tests to evaluate the quality of olive oil. And it tends to be kind of slow. And some of the tests are a little bit crude and they can be a little bit expensive. And so most of the producers out there want to get cheaper and faster tests. Yeah. Then you've got the sensory, and that is used with a panel of trained tasters who evaluate it very scientifically. They're trained to taste mostly for defects. They're not Uh looking at the positive attributes. And like I said before, the definition of extra virgin is zero defects, and that's kind of what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, So what we do is people send us oils. We evaluate them with our sensory panel and with our chemistry lab, and we'll send them the results and sometimes um, producers are happy with our results, and sometimes they're surprised. That- are you
1: being solicited for these reviews by, uh, by other countries, by other producers in other countries, as well as in California?
2: Yes, yes. So we get quite a few oils from, from Europe that yeah. they want to get an American perspective on the oil. There's these kinds of labs in Europe. But uh, people are very interested in the American market. Such it's, a, it's such mm-hmm. a big export market for olive oil and they want to get an american lab to evaluate the oil and right. and uh, in some cases they're surprised because they may have sent it to another lab and gotten a different result
1: right and so are they they're looking for the qualities that appeal to the american palate specifically and and are you able to deliver that information? You feel like you have a handle. I mean, is there such a thing as a handle on what the American palate is looking for in an olive oil versus maybe what a Greek person might be looking for? Because those Greek, Spanish, Italian olive oils are all very different in style. Yeah, so.
2: yeah, they they can be. Um, they, we are looking mostly to just look at it in a very objective way. You know, are there is this defective or not? Does it pass the standard or not? But we also want to provide people with some additional information about the oil. What type of flavor attributes did we find? What were some of the fruity attributes? Tropical, herbal, floral. And and producers kind of like to get that information because sure. they may use it in their own marketing. Um, but... Uh, you know, just about anywhere you can make olive oil, you can make it really poorly and you can make it really well. And so whether it's made in California or Greece or Italy or anywhere else doesn't necessarily bestow a, a certain profile on it, uh, nor does your your history of making it bestow any sort of innate ability to make the oil. Right. It really comes down to just basic best practices in processing this food product And that's something that a lot of producers still are trying to get a handle on.
1: So tell what is what is the best practice for making olive oil? I mean, we all I always think of it as like two giant millstones slowly crushing the olive fruits, and this you know delicious liquid pouring out from between the wheels. But maybe that's not the best way.
2: Uh, Not necessarily. It's not. It's not. necessarily a bad way to do it. It's a right. slow way to do it. And most producers these days use a different method to crush the, the olives. But the essence of it is it's pretty simple. In theory, you start with good quality fruit fresh from the orchard, take it, get it crushed, you extract the juice, you separate the oil from the rest of the juice, and you store it well. And that's uh-huh. that's the essence of making good olive oil. But there's all kinds of ways to screw that up. And yeah, let's hear. well, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> one that's way to screw it up is, is to take too long to get the fruit to the mill, huh. uh, and sometimes you just don't have a good way to get it there fast, or maybe the mill is backed up and they got a bunch of people ahead of you. So that's right. one way it can get screwed up, and that'll screw it up pretty bad. Yeah, another way is if the mill operator doesn't clean the mill very diligently, uh, if they've got a lot of old olive paste sitting around in little crevices of the mill, that's going to Throw some bad flavor into your oil. Definitely. And then another way is if you've made your oil and then the sediment will naturally drop to the bottom of the tank. And if you're not drawing off that sediment, that sediment's gonna lend a bad flavor to your oil. Ah. And so that's an additional hassle to get the sediment off the oil. And yeah. then if you don't store it in a temperature controlled facility, like you would do with wine, for example. Sure. The oil is going to go south a lot quicker. So there's plenty of ways where people mess it up. And, yeah. um, and what the new world producers tend to have an edge in is they are starting with a blank slate. They've got all new equipment, all right. new trees, and they can, they can do it right from the get-go.
1: Yeah, very interesting. I mean, you don't think of all those, but it's, it makes total sense. And, by the way, it's just the same as wine. Yeah, I mean it's very it's a, it's a fruit juice like you said. It's yeah. fascinating. There's no
2: magic or mystery. It's it's no, fruit it's juice, and simple. you're trying to preserve <laughs> that freshness as best you can.
1: Absolutely. So we were um, we were going to talk about uh, something else here, which I've now forgotten. What fraud. were we going to talk about? Fraud. Yes, exactly. Yes,
2: yes, fraud. <laughs> That's a big one.
1: Yeah. So you guys, do you detect a lot of fraud. Are you looking for a lot of fraud? Who's is- who is sending you product to try to determine if there's fraud?
2: We did a research project in 2010 and 2011 where we pulled about 180 samples of olive oil from supermarkets, big box stores. And we focused on some of the biggest names in the business in in the U.S.
1: Sure. We won't be naming any names. We won't now. name
2: them. But we <laughs> ran, ran them through our chemistry and our sensory and the the upshot of it was about two-thirds of the imported oils did not meet the standard of extra virgin, wow. even though it was on the label. Uh-huh. And yeah. what you had in those two-thirds were oils that were defective. Uh, they had rancidity. They had these other defects. Some are called, like, musty, which comes from olives that get moldy before they're processed. Ew. So you get this sort of damp basement thing going yeah. on, an earthy flavor. And I've seen earthy used as a positive by a lot of folks that review olive oil, and it's not a positive with olive oil. No. it's You don't want your apple juice to taste earthy. You don't want your orange juice to taste yeah. earthy. And you don't want olive oil to taste earthy. Yeah, yeah. So we uh, did those studies over two years, and it was quite consistent, the result. And since then, we've we just did a course uh, two weeks ago where I went out to the supermarket, pulled some samples, and we tasted them live. It was a web-based course. Cool. And about two-thirds of the samples I pulled were not extra virgin. So it's, a, it's an ongoing problem. And, and one of the issues is that uh, I think the standards aren't as good as they could be, mm-hmm. and the enforcement isn't as good as it could be. And that's why the consumer, when they face that supermarket shelf, two out of the three oils they're encountering are, are probably not extra virgin.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say that I, I almost never buy olive oil from a supermarket. I always go to, like, a fairway or... You know, like that's a good job. Yeah. Well, I mean, Steve Jenkins, who's not only a personal friend, but also a great friend to the station, has, you know, he's been supporting olive oil growers in California long before any of us even knew that such a thing existed, frankly. And um, and he was really mad about that book, Extra Virgin, Tom Muller's book. Yes. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> he had a whole rant about that on the air here. It's really funny. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was a really interesting book because of the way it talked about how these various consortiums overseas, you know, they'll buy, like, crummy oil from Morocco or something like that, and then they'll mix it in with their oil, and they'll put in, like, food coloring or whatever, you know, like, all these different ways of of tricking the customer, and um, I thought it was great that uh, Mueller had, you know, pulled this information out and, and and gave it the light of day because, I mean, we're all paying. Like, I'm the Calavita, for example— the best of the bunch in terms of what you get in the supermarket but it's damned expensive you know it's really pretty pricey so if you're like you know living on a budget and you want to use olive oil you you really have a hard time finding a good quality olive oil that that is going to fit your needs and fit your budget you know and then to be duped on top of that just seems really unfair <laughs>
2: yeah well there's there are things a consumer can do to improve their chances tell us and my top piece of advice would be to look for a harvest date on the label ah. because, like we've been talking about, it's a fruit juice, and freshness is important. And one way to determine the freshness is with a harvest date.
0: Right. Now,
2: a lot of people will look for a best before date, and that doesn't necessarily mean the oil was fresh when it went in the bottle. Right. They just stamped two years from that day, uh, the date it went into the bottle, and you don't know if it was any good when it went in. There, theoretically, you could have a not so great olive oil that has a harvest date on it, but in our experience, if a producer cares enough to put the harvest date, they usually care enough to make sure it's it's a good quality oil. Mm-hmm. It's in the right kind of package that is going to protect the the oil from light, for example. And so that would be the top piece of advice I would have for a consumer. I can't
1: say I've ever noticed a harvest date on an olive oil but i'm going to look for it and what and packaging which i think is an interesting thing to discuss about this olive oil comes in a bottle a clear bottle almost always so if in, if it's important to keep it in dark you know like without any exposure to light why aren't they using darker colored glass or using uh, some kind of you know pouch type thing or should we buy olive oil in cans instead of in bottles
2: uh, the, the bottles are, the dark bottles are the best, uh, package probably with it. A, a tin could be a good package too, but it mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily, if you see a tin doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a good oil.
1: Right. Like Bertoli, for instance, is always in a tin. I love their design.
2: There's some really romantic <laughs> imagery on some of these bottles. It's, <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, yeah, but, <laughs> uh, but the clear bottles are the, probably the worst package. Mm-hmm. And so. one reason why producers put them in a clear bottle is the consumer kind of likes to look at the color, even though, and this is another piece of advice for the consumer, the color has no reliable indicator for the quality in the bottle.
1: So it could be a very pale, uh, light green and still have a really rich, strong, extra virgin flavor. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, huh. and at the same time, it could be a very dark green and just a beautiful color and it would be a, a defective oil.
1: Right. So, it could even be colored with food coloring or some other substance, there's, right?
2: there's the possibility of that. You know, the the color should fade with time naturally, and if the color stays that way for years, and we've had examples that we've had in our window for years, and it's still the same color, Wow! then they probably added something to keep it that way.
1: What kind of stuff do they use, actually, to color olive oil?
2: There's some co- copper compound, I understand. Oh, yummy. Yeah, it's very effective. <laughs>
1: wow, that's amazing. Copper. And you would yeah. think that would deliver a pretty off flavor.
2: Uh, you know, a lot of this this oil is off-flavored anyway, and yeah. one thing we found out in our research, we did some consumer research and found that for a significant consumer segment, uh, uh, in this study, 44% of the consumers actually like the oil more if it was rancid and fusty and all these off-flavors that I think a lot of people have associated with what extra virgin should taste like. Right. And so it's an indicator that a lot of people just have not really tasted a fresh olive oil.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, I mean, honestly, you know, extra virgin olive oil sort of came in like gangbusters when I was first coming up in the food business. And, um, you know, there was only one or two brands that were available in this country. And there was tremendous fanfare and they were enormously expensive. And we had no nothing to compare them to. You know, so unless you had traveled to Europe and you had been to some place that was serving good olive oil or whatever, you had no clue what it was supposed to taste like. You know, and the idea that there might be like a little bitterness at the back of the throat or that it would have a grassy flavor—who knew? You know, so something that was more sort of, um, you know, machine oil tasting was probably more, <laughs> more <laughs> like what you grew up with. Right? And it's
2: important that people get the the experience of tasting a fresh one, and mm-hmm. so that that they'd have to go to a merchant maybe that is offering a tasting and that really knows what they're doing but that's sort of the first step is getting people to taste it and to see you know this tastes like it came from a orchard originally and not from a a can of paint or a hardware store which is Typical of, I think, of the aroma that you get in a lot of the olive oil out there. Often, yes, yeah.
1: absolutely. So, is there an educational component to the Olive Center? Do you give seminars and tastings? And we do.
2: We food do. We aim. And- we aim uh, a lot of our our educational efforts at uh, people in the industry, so buyers mm-hmm. and growers and processors. Uh, we do some consumer type events when people are visiting the campus, but. Um, as a self funded center, we, we look for ways to raise revenue, and we found that aiming it toward more of an industry uh, audience helps us raise that revenue. We also have a lot of free information on our website. Yeah. And so it's a great if, website. Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. So, some
2: of these consumer tips that I'm talking about, those yeah. are on there. Or yep. if you're a processor, there's tips for you, or if you're a buyer. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, of course, people can call us as well, send us an email.
1: Yeah, sounds great. So, um, actually, we should wrap it up here. So, what is the tell us exactly how to find that website so that people can go do that?
2: It's olivecenter.ucdavis.edu. Excellent. And it's uh, got lots of good info. that's free, and and uh, you know, hopefully, will be useful to somebody looking for a good bottle of olive oil.
1: And if we want to buy olive oils from California, besides Fairway, where should we go? There's uh, one brand
2: that's pretty well distributed around the country called California Olive Ranch, and they probably produce more than half of the oil in the country. Oh. And so you'll see them either buy that brand, or you're also seeing uh, a lot of private label California olive oil. So if you're at uh, Safeway or Whole Foods or others that have a line of different private label, they'll have a California branded oil, or Trader Joe's, for example. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's one way you can find California.
1: How interesting, because you'd think they would really want to market the California thing. And, like, I mean, that just speaks to the fact that consumers are still stuck in the idea that only good olive oil comes from Europe and that California olive oil isn't as premium a product. At least that's what that says to me.
2: Right, right. There is a little bit of bias there, you know, and people really think Italian oil is the best. And a lot of the labels we see, have they speak Italian on the front, but if you look closely at the back, it'll say it's a blend from Italy, Spain, Greece, Tunisia, Argentina, Chile, or, you know, some other countries. So, um, uh, But if people are concerned about fresh and local, then... California is the place to look to.
1: Very interesting. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, thanks to our sponsor. And remember, folks, hit the donate button. Come on, pony up. And we'll see you next week with another show. Thanks for listening today. So long. Thanks
0: for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store